Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It's hard to believe that we've been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. You're telling me producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our originals page when shopping for books and movies we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great conversations. I was so excited for our big Star Trek film franchise series this season. All those movies adapted from Gene Roddenberry's original 1960s TV show. As a huge fan, I know that you geeked out over analyzing the adaptations. Absolutely. From the motion picture to the Kelvin timeline films, seeing the Enterprise crews on the big screen was a dream come true. Our list of source material isn't just all books and plays. We have the original series in our list of source material. You can rent the episodes to watch and enjoy and support the show in the process. For our Millennium Trilogy series, we covered films adapted from the original books that launched Lizbeth Salander, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Girl Who Played with Fire, and The Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest. As much as I love Fincher's version, the original Swedish versions are the way to go. We also did our Die Hard series in Season 7. I can't believe Die Hard and Die Hard 2 were adaptations! Two of the greatest action movies ever. Well, one of them at least. The other is awfully fun, though. We revisited the classic Mary Poppins for our 1960s movie musical series. A spoonful of sugar always helps the medicine go down. Old Boy was intense for our Park Chan-wook Vengeance trilogy. And East of Eden and Giant were highlights of our James Dean series. And a fun time travel mind bender with predestination to cap things off. Find all the books behind these adaptations and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Dive into the source material for your favorite movies. Check it out today. Thenextreel.com slash originals. The next reel, everybody. I'm Pete Wright, and that there is Andy Nelson. Hey, hey, hey. And we spoil movies. Tonight on the show, we don't want to live with our mothers anymore. It's Ocean's 8. Do you know this one? Debbie Ocean, convicted felon. Her brother, Danny Ocean, more convicted felon. She was present on the night of the incident. Ooh. We would like to present you all with a hypothetical situation. How hypothetical? Not very, unless we screw up. It's called the Tucson. It's over six pounds of diamonds. Valued at over a hundred million dollars. 150 million, actually. <laughs> and we are going to rob it. Sweet. How long would it take you to make seven pieces of jewelry? Five or six hours. How long if I told you you didn't have to live with your mother anymore? Less. I'm suffering with this movie, Andy, and I think it's because of its proximity to the rest of the series. That's my theory. What do you think? Well, suffering in what way? Uh, just, I, just you feel it's it's lesser. You're putting it on par with uh, Ocean's Twelve. Uh, what are you thinking? 
weirdly, I have to put it on par with Ocean's 12 and Ocean's 11 first because I've seen this movie before just with fewer lady parts and uh, Ocean's 12 because it feels like it's right about there. It's better than Ocean's 12. It's better than Ocean's 12. But man, I I just it, it feels derivative. They did not take risks in the way that I felt like needed to be taken. Uh, this is a lot of raw material that just didn't it didn't congeal for me. I think for the most part, um, it congealed relatively well for me, um, but it never felt what's the best way to describe it. It feels like an oceans film in the sense it's got the heist, it's got the team and all that sort of stuff. Um, and the connections and stuff. I, I felt like it was fully formed, but it just wasn't, uh, anything that was fresh. Yeah. 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 And that's what I mean. That's the suffering part. Right. And that's my I think uh, give me two years on this and I'll come back to it and I'll probably enjoy it more. Sure. I mean, I I think this is one of those films that on its own, if you're not watching it right after watching the other four films, that it's going to um, stand out. Um, you know, a little stronger. That being said, I do feel like they could have done a little more work really kind of strengthening some of the elements. Like I feel like they spent so much time kind of creating a group of interesting characters that they really neglected the overall crime and the crime itself ended up feeling pretty kind of by the books and nothing very exciting. Um, it was kind of fun seeing them kind of going through the motions, putting all the pieces in place and everything. But in the end, I'm like, well, it just feels really basic. It didn't feel too grand. It didn't feel too grand. And it felt like they, they, I, I just got this feeling that they wrote themselves into corners and kept having to write themselves out of it in a way that didn't end up feeling, uh, feeling clever, but uh, ended up feeling desperate. That's, that's, uh, that's part of, uh, of my general sense of the movie. I, I should say, I also think that they went a little too far trying to tie it to the Soder Ocean films. Uh, I, I get that they needed to have some, they felt they needed to have some sort of character connection. We have Debbie Ocean instead of Danny Ocean. We have, she's the estranged sister of Danny. But uh, there were, uh, man, uh, more ties than I needed to the original oceans, to the crew, to the conversations, the throwbacks, the warnings. I I didn't need it. And ultimately, the big grand twist at the end, they relied on an oceans character. And I had a real problem with that. I didn't mind them bringing in the oceans uh, world and kind of connecting it. I thought that was actually kind of fun. And I appreciated that. You know, I like that they're actually acknowledging that this is part of that same universe, you know, and and they didn't overplay it. Like I liked just having the bit with Elliot Gould in the beginning. Um, but you're right. It's a little disappointing to bring Yen in as much as I love Yen um, in the films. I, I think he's a, a really kind of a fun character because of the crazy things he can do. But bringing him in to be the one who is, I guess, the ninth of this team, right? Yeah. It should be Ocean's Nine. And we've talked about these kind of the lame numbering and how really it might as well be. Although they're always bringing people in. So, you know, by the time you get to the end, it's like Ocean's 72 because of all the people <laughs> count, that have to be They're actually counting everybody at the gala. It's at the right. gala. Yeah, no, it's, it's Ocean's 300. Look, I feel like... They uh, it's a disservice to the eight women who are in this cast, who are in this heist, who should have been uh, allowed and written through a, a capable execution of the complete heist. That is the thing that is disappointing to me. It's not that they needed Yen necessarily. I think he's a fine character, but that the main heist of this thing. Uh, uh, the stealing of the crown jewels had to be perpetrated by a character who was not rooted in this cast. And I think that's unfair. I think it's sloppy and lazy, and I don't like it. And once again, you are proving that you and I have seen different movies that you don't feel strongly about this. No, I'm saying I do feel strongly about this. <laughs> well, you should yell more, Andy. I'm not hearing that. It's, I'm not picking it up. <laughs> it, the problem is that they don't allow the women to actually do the heist. It, they bring somebody in, and that's what I'm saying I enjoy Yen as a character, but the fact that they throw him in at the last minute to all of a sudden, you know, be a part of this crime is is kind of lame, especially when apparently this is only a crime that was known by like three of the eight. 
It's not even yes. like the team is involved. And it was really strange. No, remind me, because now I'm I'm tying myself in knots. At no point in the Soder Ocean films did we have a heist, a part of the plan that was central to the heist itself that was obviously unknown to the majority of the crew. Is that right? Um, I think this is novel. I think this is a first. I think you're right. I mean, if anything... There were moments like they didn't tell Linus that Danny was actually in the know right, of right. him being followed, stuff like that. And we talked about that. That's, you know, playing off of Linus being a boob. Fine. Technically, maybe there's elements in Ocean's 12's storyline that people don't know about, but it's hard to pinpoint with that one, like what's actually known. <laughs> right, because it was a terrible movie. But this one, ah. I think... Um, <laughs> <laughs> this one, I think, deserved better. It had a cast that could play better. And uh, and, and I think it just it, it uh, if, uh, you know, you have been using the words. It just felt written. This is uh, I, I absolutely would use that language around so many of these plot elements in this movie that, that I had trouble with. And you know what else? This is just a tiny thing. The poster ended up spoiling the movie for How me. How does it spoil the and movie? And I shouldn't have even looked at the poster. Because you meet the whole crew, all of the eight, there are the seven ladies, and then you realize that Anne Hathaway is in on it because she's she was the eighth on the, all the posters. And I was well, frustrated see, by that. I thought that was actually, uh, you're right. And I was a little confused by that initially. And then I was like, oh, maybe they're just counting eight because she's the one who's unwittingly a part of it without realizing it. And as the film went along, I kind of, you know, accepted that that's how it was. It was seven yeah. plus her. But then I was like, oh, I guess I had a little eye roll when she comes in. I'm like, oh, of course, now she's the eighth. That's I right. I should have seen it coming. And I guess that's the thing is like, you know, I should have seen it coming. People should see it coming if the, if she's on the poster featured the way she is. Sure. Featured the way she is. That's right. Because I don't right. think Andy Garcia was ever on any poster. I don't think he? so either. I don't think so either. I'd have to look, but maybe maybe yeah. on the 13. I, I don't know. We'd have to look. We have this heist. We have this. We'll talk about the heist in a second. The movie pivots and devotes a non-trivial amount of time at the bottom end, pretty much the third act, uh, to introducing John Frazier, insurance investigator, uh, with these new retconned connections to the Oceans family. Uh, what did you uh, what did you think about John Frazier, insurance investigator? You know, it's it's no different than uh, in any of these films introducing Linus's mom, Linus's dad. They're they're always introducing a new element at some point in the story. So it really didn't surprise me that he popped up. Um, what I I did think was uh, interesting was that. Uh, you know, it's he's played by James Corden, who I always love. I think he's just hilarious and just fun to, to watch in whatever he does. And when I went and saw this opening weekend, um, it was largely not getting many laughs at all through the entire film until he showed up on screen. That's when people started seeming to connect to the humor. And so it was really weird for me that all of a sudden this late in the film, now we're getting some laughs. So it, it was strange for me the way that all of that congealed. James Corden is a funny character or a funny actor to cast because thanks to The Late Show, at least for me, and I know it's not universal and certainly not necessarily global, uh, but for me, I know him now so well as the host of that show that to see him here not playing necessarily a character uh, it just feels like James Corden playing James Corden. And I had had this throwback feeling to Ocean's 12 that it was Tess playing Jessica or uh, playing um, Jessica Rabbit. Why was I about to say <laughs> Jessica Rabbit? God, uh, uh, Julia Roberts uh, playing Tess, playing Julia Roberts and Bruce Willis playing Bruce Willis. I, it just felt like that to me, like they gave him another name, but it's it, it still was this guy uh, that I know too well. And that that I thought was frustrating. Which is not that's to, funny. Not to say anything bad about J James Corden, because in addition to the show, like I, some he's, I, I love the parts that he's in in movies, the animated movies he's done. Uh, Begin again was Into fantastic. The Into the Woods was stellar, just stellar. He is incredibly talented, and in this movie, um, I I didn't get those laughs. I would love to have seen him playing James Corden as, or John <laughs> Frazier playing James Corden. <laughs> That would have been that would have been brilliant. It, it would have been it would have been great. 
Well, it's and again, it's just it speaks to how it's going to hit any audience in any particular person. Like I could not for the life of me figure out why is this all of a sudden the part that we're getting laughs now? Yeah. You know, why did it take so long for this film to strike a chord with the audience? Um, I don't know. Um, for me, it felt like it, it, you know, just the rest of the film wasn't working as well as it should have now. Um, and maybe people were just ready for a break and just seeing kind of James Corden, the late night talk show host come on board, just allowed for that. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it was frustrating. Yeah. It, it was frustrating to me. Um, so the twists in the movie, the, the, the main heist that we are aware of is uh, we're, we're stealing the Toussaint, the Toussaint. That is the this $150 million diamond necklace held by Cartier, and uh, it is going to be worn by uh, Daphne, played by Anne Hathaway, at uh, the Met Gala. And they're going to, the, the crew is going to steal the uh, Toussaint at the gala. Uh how do you feel I, about the overall twist? Overall, uh, I heist. actually, well, you mean the heist? The heist. I loved the the setup for the whole thing. I loved the way that they actually had to find a way to get this Toussaint out of this Cartier vault. Um, I thought that was just a fantastic element to the story. It was fun having to kind of work through this thing and have Helena Bottom Carter go through this scanning process with these glasses to make a, 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 a zirconium model of it. Um, you know, the, just the fits that they had to to get it out so that uh, uh, Daphne Kluger could wear it. Like, I, I liked all of that. I thought that was actually really fun, um, finding a way to get it out there. Um, once it turns into the actual heist, that's when it became a lot less interesting. You know, it wasn't um, quite as clever as some of the, the things that were happening in some of the other Oceans films. Um, so I guess that's my thought on it. I I um, I agree with you. And I, I think it was I think the overall setup is fun and interesting. And as soon as they do this setup, right, as soon as they say this is a thing, it's one hundred fifty million dollars. And now we have to write our way through all the hoops to actually get it out of that building and not get caught. And that the, the curiosity engine starts like, how are they going to solve these problems that, you know, they're going to have? And largely, I feel like um, it, it was it was pretty believable. The twists come in that. I don't know if I was if I found myself frustrated or not. I really need to see it again. And this is on one viewing. But the the first twist that Daphne's in on it, um, the, that we find that she's she is in on it. This is after the execution of the heist. And we find that she was brought in without telling the rest of the crew that Lou and uh, Debbie brought her in without telling the rest of the crew. That, that felt like a, a weird sort of betrayal. To me, that wasn't an, an earned twist. I, I felt like that was frustrating. The Debbie cops to John Fraser that they have a relationship. I did feel like that was interesting. I thought that was that was a, a great conversation between Debbie and and Fraser, and I thought that was fun. And just because I had a problem with James Corden, I actually like the idea of the insurance investigator, and I like his the, his uh, worldview that he's not interested in crime; he's interested in getting the diamonds. Uh, I like that. The final twist that it wasn't about the Toussaint at all uh, was very frustrating for me. Uh, and I felt like that was the ultimate challenge to the heist that where where things started to fall apart. You know, lesson learned from the way that the rest of the Oceans films have been structured, where you set up, uh, you know, this whole scam and you're like, oh, how are they going to do it? And you see them pulling it off only to have like the big reveal at the end, like in Oceans 11, it's. Oh, wait a minute. They faked the whole thing and it was never, you know, it was the, all of this stuff was actually in a fake vault. Then we're watching the wrong monitors, like all this sort of stuff. It was a fun twist. And I think that's become like the requirement of these heist films where you've got to have this, this big twist at the end. And when you get to the end of this film and there's really no twist, it all of a sudden is like, Oh, okay. So it did feel like, well, we've got to come up with something. What can yeah. we do? Oh, I know. Let's add on a whole other heist that they did. And it, it felt, um, that was kind of frustrating. You know, in Ocean's 13, they, they do the double heist with, you know, all the casino money while also stealing all the five diamond, mm -hmm. um, uh, necklaces. 
but you know that it's all going on at the same time. You just aren't sure exactly how they're going to do it. And that's, I agree, largely where it feels um, like it's a it's a bit of a, a heist betrayal because it is a scam that they're kind of pulling out from under all of the rest of their team and they bring yen in to do it as we said earlier mm-hmm. yeah and i felt like that was the that's the ultimate challenge it has I, I just feel like they weren't confident enough in the story that was sitting right in front of them and it's not that they didn't start setting it up i mean we have the conversation between um you know uh, daphne and the the boyfriend the foil um as they're wandering through the met uh, about the the crown jewels like there's already a hint that the crown jewels are going to be a part of it so it's not like they completely failed it's that the actual bring you know heist of the crown jewels was um was not done in a way that that sort of honored the spirit of the oceans thing and the spirit of the crew that we've come to know and i feel like that's a that's where it sort of falls far from the uh from the family tree um yeah and you i mean you even see uh lou buying the little submarine yeah, right submarine, so right. i mean there there is they a drop setup. little hints right but it's just it's it's never um threaded in where into the rest of the heist where it feels fair i guess yeah it's it is it's unearned it's not fair and and uh it's not it, it ultimately it's not very satisfying and that i think is is maybe its biggest failing uh that you know after we get some some nice sort of intense moments. We get the the vomiting uh, bit, which is a nice sleight of hand moment. We have we get to show off. I love the camera stuff, the camera play, you know, where they spend ten days like slowly moving a security camera in the system to to create a, a blind uh, zone uh, to to be able to pull this heist off. It was all uh, I thought it was all great, and it built nicely on itself uh, until we get into the the insurance investigation and the ultimate, you know, that, that the heist wasn't about the Tucson at all. Um, that's when things start to start to lose momentum for me and it becomes not very much fun at the end. And I was looking forward to a, a great big, you know, the ballyhoo at the end, I was looking forward to something kind of satisfying and I, I wasn't. Well, it's kind of funny because, you know, these Oceans films, I mean, as we've discussed the the, the franchise so far, I have been a lot less interested in um, them than you. And the characters, I, I like them, but they've always felt fairly written to me. But I've always enjoyed the heists and have enjoyed what Soderbergh brings to the table. In this particular film, it's it's almost reversed where i actually think that these characters were a real delight and almost all of them i felt completely uh you know just were were just well-rounded characters i enjoyed what they were doing here i never really felt like they were that written i thought they worked really well together like it was just a fantastic cast um at the core that really made it it shine unfortunately in this film it's the heist that really suffers and i just don't think gary ross as a director is somebody who is uh can put a film together in the way that soderbergh can that just uh makes it as entertaining for me i love that you said all of that because i totally agree the things that delight me about this movie and and it harkens back to lady ghostbusters i say diminutively which i know i shouldn't because i actually enjoyed that movie too um that we are talking about failings of the movie not failings of the all women oceans movie like that's not the thing that broke in we have uh these characters that work really well together right they're they're funny they're charming they're smart they are beautiful they are uh, strong they are you know quick-witted and and i think largely natural their interactions feel natural to me sandra bullock and kate blanchett having uh, breakfast together while they're talking about the the uh, you know her motivation sandra bullock's motivation for the heist uh is, is one of my favorite scenes in the movie it's just such a natural conversation and so all of that works so so well the only thing i i had a little bit of trouble with is just a character choice i think uh which is sandra bullock she that part felt written to me but i don't know if it's uh, if it was performance choice or just scripting i, I did you have a, an issue with sandra at all 
that's uh, I'm so glad that you said that. She is like for me. Uh, I, I love Sandra Bullock. I yes. think that she is is great in almost anything she does. You know, I think that she's just um, brings such great screen presence to her films. Weirdly, she felt so flat to me throughout the film. And it was, I was trying to read it like, I mean, clearly it was a performance choice, but I was trying to figure out if she was trying to kind of play like, did she read something in the way that George Clooney was playing Danny Ocean, kind of reserved and quiet? And she was trying to kind of pull that in for kind of this family connection. Um, and, and not be kind of her over the top, you know, where she can be a little goofier in some of her comedies. Um, but, it really was a struggle for me. I just had a real hard time with Sandra Bullock. Um, and normally I love her. And in this case, she was my least favorite of the eight. You know, Andy, I think you just put your finger on what I struggle with. And that is in in this movie, in this context, I, I went in expecting uh, the more uh, comedic Sandra Bullock, the more, uh, you know, sort of extroverted Sandra Bullock and that's not who this was and I think that uh, I'm I'm struggling with that uh, sort of context shock that she didn't her enthusiasm for uh, you know comedy and timing and uh, energy uh, did not live up to some of the other characters on the team and that that made it feel flat for me and and in fact it's the one reason I want to see the movie again uh, you know sooner rather than later because I, I I'm with you I adore Sandra Bullock's work but this is this is not a dramatic piece this is a piece that's ultimately funny and she brought a, a very serious demeanor in an oceans film a, a generally a, a heist comedy it doesn't play very well no no it really doesn't uh what do you think of the hacking there's a lot, there's a lot of hacking I don't guess I, in context of the world that these ocean films have created I guess I just don't mind it. It's it seems like as unbelievable and nonsensical as anything Livingston um, or uh, Roman had been doing in the previous films. Um, you know, it's just kind of kind of silly, but I guess it works. But you know what's funny about it? It's not silly, and that's the thing I I think I was most enthusiastic about. You do have to go through some uh, jump through some assumption hoops. To actually make it all make sense. But you know what? It sort of makes sense. Uh, and, and so I just made a list of the things that uh, uh, things that I remembered uh, off of uh, out of the film, the, the kinds of hacking that the, the sorts of tools and exploits that they're that she was using to actually make this whole thing work uh, in the very beginning. She looks for the, the footprint, right? She talks about the footprint, Sandra Bullock's or Debbie's footprint uh, that that is a legit thing. That's a legit thing that they can do right now. She turns the lights on and off. That's a legit thing. She can do that right now. Now, the, the assumption you have to make is that this loft apartment has all, uh, you know, computer controlled lights like Hue lights, for example. Then then she could get in and do that on the on the Wi-Fi network. She could create her own network and take over that network. It is it, it's I think still we're not quite to the point where you can assume that everybody has that, but we're going to be there pretty soon. My house has hue lights. Somebody could come in and turn all the lights on and off. That's please don't. Uh, we have, <laughs> we have the spear fishing, right? Where she sends the, uh, she makes that poster and sends it to the Wheaton lover, Paul. That was brilliant. <laughs> it was brilliant and totally legit. And that's the thing I love about it. It's a total social hack and it works great. Now, the thing that you have to, you have to sort of discount is on the other end. Once Paul clicks on it, that is the, that's a, uh, likely a buffer overflow um, uh, exploit which allows the allows the the hacker to run malicious code on Paul's computer and Paul works at a security organization and I have a hard time believing that uh, his computer uh, hasn't been and their systems hadn't been hacked to be able to do what she did so you know it, technically possible, but unlikely. Well, and that's assuming that his system is is you know running in a place where he's able to open links like that in the first place. Exactly. Like I just, I, that, and that's that's where it gets a little unbelievable for me. It's like yeah. I can't even believe that he would be able to open something like that out, yes. on a work computer at a security place. <laughs> totally. But, <laughs> uh, but the uh, you but know, that being said. It the, still made me laugh. It still made me laugh. And, and actually, what made me laugh the most was Rihanna's uh, reactions to him. 
Oh, Paul. <laughs> oh, Paul. Oh, Paul. <laughs> oh, you. She's so good. She uses the brute force uh, password hack using that that hardware brick, and and that was uh, you know that, that was expedited. Let's just say that was that worked very quickly, and and likely would not have been successful uh, again at this security company. Uh, but uh, you know, it, it's believable technology. The 3D scanning glasses that weirdly was my favorite part because using you know depth sensing cameras you know the the these latest cell phones can can start to do those kinds of things they're building 3d maps from 2d images all the time right now so like being able to get a high quality scan of those things of those jewels from the the tiny lenses that are separated uh, on the frames of the uh, those glasses, totally believable in the very near future. I think we're we're pretty close to that. So I I actually thought uh, the the exploits themselves. Once you jump through a few assumptive hoops, you can get there. You can make sense of it. But my God, the production design, Andy, don't look at the computer screen because they mislabeled file types on, uh, you know, movies, videos, image files. They just screwed up left and right as soon as you actually look at the screen. And I, you know, I know I'm a, I'm I, maybe I'm, I'm looking at this too critically, but come on, like, we live in an era of Mr. Robot. You get it, get it right. There, it is possible to get it right, and they chose not to get it right. That is a complete production design fail, and I was super frustrated, especially when all the other stuff kind of works. And obviously, you're you're the the type of person who's going to pick up on those because I you wrote that note. And I'm like, I don't even know what he's talking about. I clearly <laughs> missed whatever it was. <laughs> it was it was super frustrating and uh and so i you know it's it's the kind of thing that makes me mad right now and that's and and it, especially because they had earned credit with some of the other sort of hacking logic that they'd built in it's superficial and you have to you know you have to really suspend your disbelief but they they'd earned credit there and then failed every time you're on screen it was dumb what do we know about getting the movie made andy well, it's interesting. As of you know, late 2015, uh, Soderbergh. I mean, Soderbergh had always been saying, you know, we want to go out on a high note. That's the end of the trilogy. We're not going to make another one. But as of the late 2015, there was development talk about a spinoff with an all-female group. Now, uh, I, you know, I was looking around. You found something on Reddit, which um, yeah. sent me uh, into a little search to see if I could find anything about a script because you found a thing on reddit about somebody who had uh, one of the original scripts that they think that it was based on um the way that it's credited there's nothing suggesting that it is based on um a different property um it looks like it was just uh you know gary ross and olivia milch who came in and wrote this script um, however, I, I'm looking at an article from The Hollywood Reporter back in October 2015 that says New Line nabs Met Gala heist script. Now, it looks like at the time, um, Greg Rawson and Brian Sawyer had written a spec script called Met Gala Heist. And it says, described as an Ocean's Eleven type heist film, the story centers on two estranged sisters who create an all-girl team to pull off a heist at the Oscars of fashion, the Met Gala. That wow. sounds like this that film. Sure, sounds like the film. And um, but yeah, it was um, picked up by producer Michelle Sai uh, over at New Line Cinema, which uh, is a division of Warner Brothers. But um, I haven't seen anything. Uh, connecting these people to this project. So I'm really curious to see kind of uh, what, if, if there's more of a story to this. What's interesting about that, Andy, if you look in IMDb, Met Gala Heist is, uh, is set as in development. <laughs> it's, it's in IMDb. This is highly suspicious. <laughs> I think so too. I'm really curious about what is going on with this project now. Because it sounds like the same film. It sounds like exactly the same th film. And if you know, if that's true, it it speaks to the Ocean's Twelve comparisons. I mean, it's just it 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 doesn't feel enough like an Ocean's movie. And maybe that's you know that's them shoehorning all the Ocean specific stuff into a, a script that may have been fine all on its own. I don't know. 
it, it, whatever the case, it was heavily rewritten. Uh, and uh, we should talk a little bit about those who rewrote it. Yeah, as we said, um, Gary Ross, who directed it, and Olivia Milch are credited as the writers of the story. And um, what's interesting, uh, you did a little more digging on Olivia Milch, but I, what I thought was interesting is there was some um, flack given to the project for hiring a man, Gary Ross, to come on board and direct this film when um, they felt, you know, especially in this, you know, Me Too period, if we're going to be having uh, a, this great story about all these women um, thieves, let's get a woman in to direct the story. Um, it's not like that's a requirement, but it felt like it would have been a nice thing to do. But I guess Olivia has been working with Gary quite a while. And she actually said part of her deal to come on board was uh, to have him on board as the director, because I guess they're writing partners. And as she said, a dear friend and a mentor. So it's interesting the way that all of that uh, came to be. She has quite a pedigree uh, on Netflix. Now you'll find the all female stoner flick dude. Uh, I haven't seen it, but it, it hit the blacklist in 2013. Uh, she's also been writing Sony's live action Barbie movie again with Anne Hathaway. Her dad is David Milch, who is the who um, is a creator behind NYPD Blue and Deadwood. And uh, mother is film editor Rita Stern. Uh, so she's certainly been around the business and has the chops. And I would say, if anything, uh, she was able to d- deliver, again, these natural relationships between these women. A-, a quote, Gary and I thought a lot about wanting to spend time with women where they were excellent at their jobs. Their jobs just happened to be being criminals. And they wanted to steal because they wanted to steal. We didn't have to say there was some deep, dark reason. Uh, and and I like that. And I like that because that actually does uh, remind me so much and so affectionately of Ocean's Eleven. Uh, and I think that's a, a really nice tie. Well, and and to that end, though, it's nice that in every case of these films, they've always found another element to tie into the story. It's not just the heist. And in this particular case, it's, it's Debbie getting back at her uh, X to uh, because he's really the reason that she ended up uh, spending five years in the clink. So Debbie was getting back at her ex in Oceans 8 while Danny was getting his ex back in Oceans 11. Wow. I don't know. I want to know if there's going to be an Oceans 9 and 10. And then I'm going to then there will be this confusion about do you watch the original trilogy first or what's first chronological order or numerical order? That's right. And, I and want it'll two, be, two sets of trilogies that create that confusion it's gonna in this be, world. It's going to be Oceans, colon, The Last Heist, and it's going to really mess people up because J.J. Abrams is going to do it. Oh, it's fantastic. I know you'd be into that. Probably the first one I like. Can we just... <laughs> Can we run through the eight? Yes, let's do it. We've already talked about Sandra Bullock as Debbie Ocean. Do you have anything else to say about Sandy? Sandy, Sandy and I are tight. I, you know, I, I do like the connection to Danny Ocean. And in particular, I really liked the elements with her in front of his, uh, his tombstone. Um, or I don't know what you call those things. She's in the um, mausoleum. Yeah. But what do you call his actual, his wall? His it's brick? The, cr- the crate, the crate. They call him it. It's, you have to say it kind of with air quotes. It's called the crate. That's just, I'm making, okay. I'm making the that up. That's why crate. it's not real. It's not a real thing. I don't want you to walk away from this thinking you learned something. You I, I probably would have. I know. You did not learn anything. <laughs> experience <here>. with mausoleums <laughs> is zero. Very, except very except from movies. Yes, so. right. Uh, Kate Blanchett is Lou. I adore Kate Blanchett. And let me just tell you, as an aside, Andy, I, I don't know if this is telling about the movie. I have had more fun watching this cast promote the film than watching the movie. They are delightful. Uh, as a troupe between Sandra Bullock and Kate Blanchett and Anne Hathaway and Sarah Paulson. They are a straight up riot during their interviews. They're totally useless interviews. They contribute to nothing because all they do is tell jokes and laugh. Have you watched any of this stuff? I've seen a couple uh, bits and you're right. I, I, I adore all of them. And, uh, and that they, they carry the same, uh, fun behind the scenes vibe that yeah. you get from the guys in the oceans, the other oceans totally. series. 
And that, I think, is the biggest strength of these series, is finding fantastic, fantastic groups to, pr- to bring together to really lead these uh, teams. And De- Deborah Zane, who had cast the other ones, is back doing it again here. And man, she's just so good at creating these teams. Totally, totally. Mindy Colling as Amita. Uh, I, again, love Mindy Colling from her show. Uh, loved her in The Office. She is fantastic. She's great. I, I think that she's a fantastic addition to this team. So Yeah. Uh, Sarah Paulson was the big surprise for me. I, I don't know why she was such a surprise for me, but I adored her. She was great. And uh, she. I feel like I haven't seen her in enough stuff recently. Uh, and now she seems to be everywhere. She's, I feel like she's been everywhere. So, so, but I, I love it because I've always enjoyed Sarah Paulson. And, um, I, I feel like it goes back to, wasn't she in Sunset on the studio on the Sunset Strip? Oh my gosh. That was such a great show. I feel like that is where I kind of felt, first fell in love with Sarah Paulson. And I, I, she had so much fun with her character. And I just love that yes. she's like this, 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 you know, soccer mom, but who secretly has this, this, uh, eBay business on the side where she's like selling stolen bicycles. <laughs> her garage is insane. I loved that. Like Roombas and, uh, oh yeah, great. Well, and, and so speaking of Sarah Paulson, I, uh, discovered only through researching this stuff and, and you're right. She was in the post uh, and uh, she was in the runner and she was I mean, she's been in a number of things. Twelve Years a Slave uh, over the last decade that I feel like I have seen her in. I am not an American horror story or American crime story fan. So I. Oh, right. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I haven't seen her in in those. But my goodness, she is in adaptation films, upcoming adaptation films in 2018, 2019 of two books that I'm a huge fan of uh, on recommendation of the good Tommy Handsome and JJ. I am in the middle of Bird Box, which is amazing. And she is in starring in that with Sandra Bullock, uh, which is in post-production right now due for a December release. And Donna Tartt's The Goldfinch. I am a massive fan of Donna Tartt. Uh, if you haven't read The Secret History, Man, that needs to be a movie. Uh, this was her second book, The Goldfinch, which is uh, um, uh, Paulson's going to be playing the character of Zandra. I cannot wait to see this movie. I can't believe it. So well, excited. You didn't even you didn't even mention Glass, the upcoming film that she's in next year, which is the next in the Unbreakable films. I didn't mention that. You're right. I'm David Dunn yeah. uh, is back. He's using his supernatural abilities to track Kevin Wendell Crumb, the disturbed man is 24 personalities. My goodness, that's right. Yeah. That's going to be fantastic. This is great. Oh, I'm just yeah. going to see Sarah Paulson movies for the next three years over and over again. Here, here. Here, here. <laughs> um, Aquafina as Constance, uh, she was uh, perfect in this role. Just perfect in the, uh, you know, bringing something new to the sleight of hand role. I don't think I had any idea who Aquafina was. I had not seen um, the Neighbors film, so I, I mm-hmm. had no connection with her from that. I had seen Storks, but unfortunately, she was animated. <laughs> no idea who she was. <laughs> Um, but I kind of feel like she is my favorite of the group. I loved everything she did in this film. Yeah. She was so funny. She was so perfect. She played it so spot on. Um, I had just a blast with her. Yeah, she she was just really, really great. And so was Rihanna. I think Rihanna as the hacker as Nineball was was also great. A subdued character, but uh, charming and and. Uh... Did a good yeah, job. a little subdued, uh, a little maybe too subdued for me, but I still liked her. I, and I generally find that Rihanna is uh, kind of fun to watch on screen. You know, she she never completely um, uh, uh, sells me, but I still enjoy her. Like Valerian, Home, uh, This is the End. I, I, I like seeing her on screen. I just think that she's got presence, even if this was just too subdued for me. What, what do you think about Helena Bonham Carter? Okay, this is uh, it might be some uh, contention between us because I know Helena Bonham Carter has uh, be- she's she's kind of turned into that actress who always plays crazy now, <laughs> and 
I loved it so much in this film. Like it worked so perfectly as a costume designer. Like I, you know, as this fashion designer, I totally bought it because they already have big, crazy personalities. I'm like, she is the perfect person to play this character. I loved every bit of her. (laughs) I, you know what, Andy, there's no contention here. I did too. I loved every bit of her. She's fantastic. And she is fantastic in, uh, everything. I adore Helena Bonham Carter. I loved her in Cinderella. I loved her in the King's Speech. I loved her in... But I just feel like she is daffy in more movies than she is not right now. And I'm possible, it's very possible that I've only seen the daffy ones. Uh, but well, I... You just said King's Speech. Yeah, you're right. She wasn't daffy in the King's Speech. Uh, that, that's true. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of... Uh, she also does an... Uh, lovely job in the the classics and shakespeare stuff and she's just so phenomenally talented but sweeney todd and uh les mis and i just miss a room with a view i mean for crying out loud planet of the apes yeah she had the she had the jennifer aniston haircut on on her ape face (laughs) remember that Oh yes, she's been in a lot of interesting films. She, yeah, she, she's. But, but in this film in particular, I think she was great. I loved it, her bit in the picking the team in the building the team sequence where she's crying uh, in the uh, you know at her own fashion show. Uh, I thought that was <laughs> I thought that was funny. Anyway, so I I love the funny. team. I don't think we mentioned specifically Anne Hathaway. Uh, Hathaway Anne Hathaway. Uh, I don't think we mentioned her specifically. Also great, although w- she again was a character that I was I, I found myself disappointed in a little bit just because um, she went from sort of the I, I don't know she had a little bit of the ditziness that turned a little bit too quickly. Uh, you know when she was brought in as part of the team uh, that. Um, I don't know. It felt a little bit written that we needed her to be stupid so that she would miss the camera taking a picture of the clasp on her neck, that we needed her to miss all these really obvious things going on around her that nobody would. I mean, she would not have missed. And which I, she obviously yeah. wasn't. Missing. Which she obviously wasn't missing. But, and that, they, but they were missing her. Yes. Catching it. That's right. I, I liked the way that it worked. I mean, I can see your point a little bit that it might have been a little too quick going from kind of the, the dits to the member of the team. But I actually really enjoyed the fact that, you know, they wrote a smart character and she's not just this ditzy actress. She actually is somebody who's paying attention and kind of sees what's going on, even if she's not um, not quite sure exactly what it is. Yeah. And I actually uh, really enjoyed that she ended up becoming a part of the team. Obviously, I don't care that much. <laughs> <laughs> Cinematography is handled by Andy. I, I believe it's Igil Bryld. Oh, man, you, you made it Aigil sound so Bryld. easy. Well, uh, you know that we mentioned a spoiler in our spoiler filled show last week that uh, they made some choices around, um, you know, changing up the logo presentation at the beginning. Still disappointed about that. Uh, but overall, the camera work, uh, it, it wasn't particularly showy. It wasn't particularly stunning. Uh, it was uh, adept. This goes back to what we talked about with Soderbergh and how great he is behind the camera. He is shooting the films himself. So he's got a very much style that he's using throughout and as we mentioned at the very end of last episode right out of the gate with this one you're already losing the fun that Soderbergh was having playing around with the 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 company logos and and just letting you know this is going to be fun I'm going to be having a good time here and uh, and you are too and he's a very flashy guy with these films and I've always loved that he does that even if I'm not as crazy about the films themselves in this particular case, Gary Ross is a pretty standard, uh, straightforward director, and I didn't feel like there was n- enough play that he was allowing himself to have here. And uh, and when you get uh, a cinematographer in here, I you know, Igel Bryld has done some some films that I think are great films, but I guess in my head I can't picture them as standout um, uh, films for the way that they look, and it certainly didn't work in this particular case, because it does feel fairly standard. What do you think of Daniel Pemberton's music? It wasn't David Holmes, but it was fine, I guess. A whole lot of fine. A whole lot of fine. I was a little disappointed that so few of the the team that had been behind the film 
um, were brought in to kind of reprise elements. Like I, if they continued the music or something or the way that it looked, I guess it'd be weird having Soderbergh shoot the film. I don't think anybody's hired him on just as a DP. That might be strange. But if they, the music or the editing or found some other elements that they could use to kind of be a, a through line across the, the different series. And I was like, you know, that might have really helped the, the, the vibe of it uh, kind of be a little more consistent. Well, so, I mean, Pemberton's fine. I just, I was really hoping to kind of keep that similar, that feel coming through. You know, he's done some, some great scores that I that I really enjoy Steve Jobs uh, you know we talked about the man from uncle there's some good stuff in in his uh, uh, in his catalog I actually disagree with you about you know bringing in more people to make it more of a you know continue to through line the through line I think uh, and and mostly over the course of our conversation I've started to see the oceans or the Soderbergh oceans the Soder oceans uh, as the Christopher Nolan Batmans, the Batsman uh, films, that they are a standalone in the universe that were not intended to connect necessarily. And I sort of regret that they didn't disconnect more from those from the Soderbergh Ocean films. I think that's part of the thing that that makes me a little bit heartsick about this movie, that they didn't take more risks apart from what had already been there and try to do something even more gregarious and uh, audacious with such a great cast. Oh, I mean, I can see your point, I guess. I I guess for me, the fact that it's there or not, I don't think is, is really the problem. Like if they hit, hit this script out of the park and it was such a fun script and it was such a clever heist and these characters were still as fun as they were. Yeah. And it still had those connections. I, I don't think you would be saying that. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. We got some other facts and tidbits, though, before we wrap up. Can we uh, run through these? Yes. You go okay. first. Pick your favorite, Andy. I loved that they had these elderly actresses at the end kind of help uh, pass off their stolen gems and get the money. I thought that was brilliant. And the fact that it was um, iconic faces like Marlo Thomas, Dana Ivey, Mary Louise Wilson, and Elizabeth Ashley doing it was so much fun. Um, and of course, some of these th- women were faces that I totally recognized, particularly Dana Ivey, when I was like, oh, I totally know where I know her, but I couldn't pinpoint it. But then you look at them and you're like, oh my goodness, Marla Thomas, um, she had been like behind like, uh, you know, uh, free to be you and me mm-hmm. and and just so many things. I mean, they have such amazing history. A lot of it is Broadway, actually. So I, I was so excited that Gary Ross tapped these women uh, to come in for these fun parts. Oh, and I loved how they talked about them, too, as they were looking at their photo, their headshots, saying, oh, yeah, she did Summerstock. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> right. Well, that was I, brilliant. I've uh, I got one. I'm glad didn't show up in the film. Uh, uh, Matt Damon was originally slated to cameo, but was cut because of his controversial comments around allegations of sexual misconduct in the film industry. They sliced him from there. There were some other uh, uh, other characters who were um, intended to be in the film, but were cut. Carl Reiner uh, was um, was supposed to have a cameo, and he was cut. Damian Lewis. Uh, was originally slated for the film and didn't appear in the final cut. So um, a number of faces didn't make the cut. I don't know. I, I I didn't see anything about Carl Reiner or Damian Lewis getting cut for the reasons that Matt Damon. No, no, no. And I, yeah, if I implied that, I, I sure didn't intend to. They were cut for other reasons. Matt Damon has his own very special reason to be yeah. cut from the film. So uh, here we are. We don't know much about sequels or remakes yet. Uh, but maybe we'll learn something by looking at the numbers. What say you? Um, it looks like Gary Ross's entry into this franchise cost $70 million, which is actually the lowest of these modern films, not looking at the original. Just as a reminder, in today's dollars, Soderbergh's original Ocean's Eleven cost $115.6 million, 12 cost $139.7 million, and 13 cost $98.6 million. So it's a drop of almost $20 million in today's dollars. Considering the scope, it still seems really cheap, but I guess they'll, they have at least three fewer movie star salaries to deal with, I guess, maybe? <laughs> Who knows? That's why they're so cheap. <laughs> 
Anyway, the movie opened 11 years to the date of the release of Ocean's 13 on June 8th, opposite A24's Hereditary, the Mr. Rogers documentary Won't You Be My Neighbor, and Hotel Artemis. And this film easily took the number one spot, bumping Solo, a Star Wars story, to number two in just its third week. Unfortunately, 8 couldn't hold on to the number one spot that long, as the animated juggernaut The Incredibles 2 took the world by storm the following weekend, having what was not only the best opening weekend for an animated film ever, but also breaking into the top 10 best opening weekends ever. Oddly enough, the third film this year to do so. Let's do a little pop quiz just to see how good you are at guessing the top 10 best opening weekends You know how much I love quizzes. (laughs) I do, I do. Okay. All right. You can pick the the three this year should be pretty easy. Three this year. Well, yeah. So I'm going to say Infinity War. Yes. uh, And that uh, holds the number one spot for best opening weekend ever. Oh, good. Okay. And um, let's say uh, Star Wars. uh, Do we have a Star Wars this year that's in there? No, they were last year, right? The Force Awakens. Last Jedi. I was mean, Last, last year. Jedi was d- last year, so that doesn't count. Um, but Force Awakens and Last Jedi are both on this list. Oh, God, good. Hey, in fact, slam in, dunk. In spots two and three. <laughs> so there you go. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. I am crushing it today. Okay, uh, Black Panther. Black Panther that's is going to be on there. Yeah, okay. that that opened at number six. Okay, uh, uh, opening weekend. Incredibles two opened at eighth place. Oh, geez. Okay. Um, so are we still? Are, are we still? It's pretty much all Disney, right? <laughs> all Almost. Disney, Marvel, all but one. <laughs> Seriously, all, all but one. Yes. Um, okay. So you have one, two, three. S- number four is Jurassic World. Oh, there that's you go. The There's non-Disney. the one that's not. Yeah. And then um, number five is the Avengers. Six I bet is the Black other. Panther. I bet the other Avengers too. Uh, Age of Ultron was yeah. up there, and um, seven is Age of Ultron. Okay. Eight is Incredibles two. Nine is uh, Captain America: Civil War. Oh, that actually surprises me. Even though that's yeah. one of my favorites of the whole lot. And ten is Beauty and the Beast, the live action yeah. film. Yep, yep. I remember that now. I did pretty good. You got to admit. I I'm pretty impressed. I'm pretty impressed. I mean, you know, pretty impressed. Nailed that Disney thing here. You know, I guess my when I first thought, I'm actually surprised that a, a like a Fast and the Furious didn't end up in there, or a Twilight didn't up and end up in there, or a Hunger Games. Like those are the big uh, like series that I'm kind of surprised there, and or maybe Harry Potter. Like, why didn't Deathly Hallows Part Two end up in, in on the list? That's at number like, twelve. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh excellent yeah well, other that, than universal the next one to have a spot other than disney is the 12th place which is harry potter and the deathly hallows part two wow then they also have 13 and 14 uh with batman v superman uh dawn of justice and the dark knight rises and then the dark knight so all the way okay. to 15 and then the hunger games catching fire so see you're oh you're, you have the right mindset for this awesome <laughs> oh i feel pretty good about that yeah, yeah no i'm i'm all about the budget you know me in numbers and then mm-hmm. and the and spot twenty is Furious Seven. So see, <laughs> you totally were. If I had done the top twenty, you I would have crushed won. it. I would have just crushed it. <laughs> but see, I probably couldn't remember what there. I was just thinking that uh, Twilight something, uh, Furious <laughs> right. Twilight something, Twilight twenty two, yeah, car see? movie seven. Okay, yeah. Are you done? It's Do interesting. You have more? I think you have more to say. Uh, anyway. As of the date of our recording, Ocean's 8 has grossed 78.5 million domestically and 36.8 million internationally, giving it a total gross so far of 115.4 million. If it sticks with it and continues to draw in audiences over the summer, it should easily make its money back and open the doors yet again for Warner Brothers to return to the franchise in just a few years. I hope they do, Andy. I'm going to say that. As much uh, trouble as I had with some of the elements of this movie, I really like the direction, and I love the cast, and I think this would be a fun thing to see continue to develop. So give them a couple of years, and let's do this again. I agree. As much as I struggle with this franchise, um, I feel like this is the direction I would really like to see them explore some more. I am just baffled that you struggle with this franchise, and I am deeply deeply disheartened that struggle i is... say that remember they're all ranked relatively high ish they're all films that i do enjoy so it's they're easy to watch but yeah. they're just not films i love i shouldn't say you know i shouldn't make it sound like they're difficult or you do I you make it sound them. hard i do it's I work do. those that's oceans movies that's a lot of work 
<laughs> Give me Schindler's List any day. <laughs> Terrence Malick for the win. Okay, look, I think, Andy, yeah. it's time for us to rank it. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel if you want to check out our list of movies uh, that we've talked about on this show. Or you can swipe over in your show notes, tap the word flickchart. It'll take you to this very movie where you can enter it on your list and see how it stacks up to ours. First up, Ocean's 8 or Numi, the girl with the dragon tattoo. Dragon tattoo, please. I'm gonna, yeah, dragon tattoo for me. Ocean's 8 or the adventures of Baron Munchausen. Ocean's 8. I'll say Ocean's 8. Ocean's 8 or Ocean's 12? (laughs) (laughs) Ocean's Uh, 12 for me. uh, It's going to be Ocean's 8 for me. (laughs) Uh, Let's do it. All right. One, One, two, two, three. three. Paper. Crap. I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) Wait, do over. I was uh, having an episode. You were speaking in uh, (laughs) (laughs) language. Uh, Ocean's Eight or Detroit? Ocean's Eight for me. Um, You're going to say Detroit here. I, I know. You I are. am going to say Detroit because again, we saw different movies, <laughs> and you are somehow broken. Here we go. One, One two, two, three. three scissors. Paper. Cut you. Ocean's Eight or Splash? Oh, Splash for me. I haven't <laughs> seen that pop up in a long time. I would do Splash too. I mean Splash also. <laughs> Not Splash too. <laughs> That's a totally different <laughs> ranking. Ocean's Eight or Gattaca? Oh wow! Oh Gattaca, um, Gattaca, Gattaca. Yeah. This is Ocean's fun. I feel or- I couldn't even remember we watched those movies. I know it's it's some fresh stuff in here. Ocean's Eight or The Sandlot? Uh, Ocean's Eight. I'm gonna say The Sandlot. All right. One, One two, two, three. three. Paper. Hmm. Oh. I can see that. You're welcome. Look at that. Ocean's Eight or The Godfather Part Three. Godfather Part Three. Godfather. Yeah. All right. Well, that lands Ocean's Eight at two sixty eight on our chart. Two sixty eight out of three sixty one. All right. How'd it do on your list? It ended up at sixteen seventy two out of four thousand, which is about a fifty eight percent. So you know, it's uh, it's I think a fairly good spot it's it you know again it's in the top half just like uh the other uh films are yeah uh mine ended up at 240 out of 1026 which put it higher maybe than it deserved to be it ran into a couple that were tough rankings tough because they they were too easy uh that puts it at 77 percent or a four out of five stars if i go by the algorithm uh, for letterbox.com slash the next reel, what's your star rating look like? I'm not I'm not settled on four stars by uh by any stretch. Yeah, no, for me it's a it's a three star film uh and a like. Yeah, I, I think it is for me. Three stars and a like um, and and that's a lock. It it was a it was a good film. I had a lot of fun with it. Uh and I also the problems I had with it were disappointing enough to shave off those stars. So um you know I feel overall pretty good with it. In terms of the overall oceans ranking, this is uh, in there as my third favorite movie. So oceans uh, 11, 13, 8, 12, and eleven. And mine is twelve. I, I I guess this would be fourth. It would be twelve, eleven, thirteen, eight, eleven. Man, that but is I feel like I, just I feel like that's right. This is going to be I, the thing. We, this is a stake in the ground where Andy went crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you'll have to see. You'll have to see if if if, if it uh, wears off or if I come back fully loony I, by the time you're going to uh, come back, back full <laughs> Helen and Bonham Carter. <laughs> That's okay, right. Here we go, full HBC. I can't wait. What are we doing next? Well, next, uh, this is our hiatus. We are taking the month of July off and uh, coming back in August. And we are hitting it hard with uh, 50th anniversaries. It is going to be kind of a fun uh, rest of the year. We're going to be exploring a bunch of different uh, series that started in 1968. And we're going to be uh, looking at uh, some other just films in different genres from 1968. So uh, we're kicking it off with 2001 and 2010. Uh, And uh, it should be great uh, kind of starting it off with some Kubrick as soon as we return. 
I'm really excited about it, Andy. I can't wait to, to dig into those movies with you. Uh, and uh, I also can't wait for a little vacation. So uh, thank you, everybody, for uh, uh, you know putting up with a little break. Go catch up on some movies this month, and uh, we'll, we'll, catch you, uh, we'll catch you in August. If you want to hear more of us, but you just can't wait until August, uh, you can support us over on patreon.com slash the next reel and get access to our exclusive members only weekend show, the Saturday matinee. We are going to be recording a couple of those over our hiatus. We talk about movie news and trailers. We go head to head in our weekly challenge in which we put together lists of movies related in some way to the movie we're discussing that week. I don't know what we're going to do with that over the hiatus, but it will be an experiment that will be fun in some way or another. For, for um, but, someone, yeah. someone for will someone. have Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, just head on over to patreon.com slash the next reel and you can check out more about that. And you can learn more about us at the next Subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app or follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at the next reel. The next reel couldn't happen without the hard work of Stephen Smart, who's running Instagram, Ben Lott, who's running all things over on Twitter, and of course, thanks to Eli Catlin, who graciously allows us to use his song Ragtime Instrumental as the theme to the show. You can find out more about Eli on his SoundCloud page. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Amazon giveth, Andy. As Amazon always doeth, kind of. Except for not today, because it's kind of a new movie. And so I'm going to do Amazon, and you've gone off the rails, off the grid. Oh, holy cow. Yeah. Yes, I have. Can't even trust what what you bring to the table tonight. I'm going to go first, because it's Amazon. And uh, this review comes from the good and kindly Cindy, uh, who says, two stars. Disappointing. Great cast of actors and James Bond storyline, but I was bored. It did not meet my expectations. Andy, <laughs> I read that in honor of you, honestly, because I this love is your dynamics. Total, it's a total Andy review. This is a great <laughs> movie, but two stars. <laughs> I loved this movie. I had a few quibbles. One and a half stars. <laughs> wow, it's so true, isn't it? <laughs> This movie sucked, but that trailer, five stars. Oh, oh you. Where'd you go? You mining well, the depths of some other internet? Oh, that's, Rotten Tomatoes. That's right. Everybody knows the uh, the craziness that comes out of Rotten Tomatoes. Well, I'm looking at a half star. Oh. A half star, because I guess they do half stars over here. So it's a half star, and it doesn't say who it's by. So it's a, it's a I guess, in Amazon parlance, it's a customer mm. mm-hmm. uh, it, who says... It will be a flop because James Corden, the jinx, is in it. (laughs) I didn't know that James Corden was a jinx. I didn't either. Is he is he is he bad news? Has he ruined anything? I I feel like he's made everything better. I do, too. A little bit of James Corden goes a long, long way. I think this is James Corden's elementary school rival. Maybe maybe it's James Corden and he's just trying to reset expectations. (laughs) <laughs> that could be that could Maybe be he's nursing uh, a deep-seated anxiety of just shame and uh fear of success <laughs> i'm sure that's what it is this is what he does yeah. when he's he's drunk late at night he's sitting in his underwear <laughs> just, he just slams on himself about as himself. a customer <laughs> james i'm so sorry you need james, help i'd like you to you. guest on our show we're gonna work through some stuff <laughs> let us help you ah oh, james Thanks. Thanks, Ron Tomatoes. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. 
The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today. Today. 